0: What's up, everybody? We're back for another episode of the Dragzine Podcast. I'm your host, senior associate editor of Dragzine, Brian Wagner. And this week, I've got Jason Lee. Jason, what's going on?
1: Oh, not a whole lot. Just uh,
0: getting back at it and
1: uh, getting caught up from being gone, actually, with uh, the business side of things, and then uh, back off to PDRA in another week.
0: Yeah, yeah. You did the uh, the elusive thing that many of us can't do sometimes. And you disappeared and did the whole vacation thing, which is... Uh, Well, mommy ain't happy. Nobody's happy, right?
1: That's exactly right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. My, uh, my daughter was on her yearly vacation with her boyfriend and, uh, he proposed to her. So we had to make sure, you know, the wife wouldn't let us not be there. So we had to surprise her and kind of be there and be part of it. So it was really cool and, uh, it worked out really well. Well,
0: that's awesome. Congratulations that everything went off without a hitch and, uh, you just get to slide back into racing now, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's, uh, it, I was just at the, the PDRA Norwalk event and it, it was definitely cool to see them make a trip up there. And some of those racers get to experience Norwalk for the first time that have uh, never been to that facility.
1: Oh, absolutely. It's, it's, uh, it's one of the premier racetracks in the country. Uh, luckily for me, it's about an hour from my home. So it's, it's, uh, I guess I would consider it a hometown track for me. We don't get an opportunity to race there a lot, just with the different series not going there for, you know, whatever reason. I think that uh, most of these series probably need to take note that that is absolutely one of the premier tracks in the country, um, not only for the racers, but for the fans, the pits. I mean, every aspect of it, just how they run their, their facility over there is awesome.
0: It spoils you going to that track, even for like, I I was talking with uh, a a staff member there. They're saying they're averaging 500 cars a week for their bracket series. Just for a weekly bracket series. Oh,
1: absolutely. You know, it's, and again, it just goes to show how well he runs his program. I mean, it's very disciplined. It's very structured. Everybody knows what's to, you know what to expect. They know what to expect out of him, and he, you know, and, and they know what's expected out of them. So it's uh, it's very very clear. You know, it's very organized, and I think most drag racers, you know, at least the
0: successful ones, are very organized, and that's what they like about it. Racers, it, it's easy. Payout, prep, program. You do those three things, and drag racers will literally follow you off a cliff.
1: That's exactly right.
0: It, it was crazy, too. Evan Smith and I were talking. I saw him at at the NMR areas pull out his phone and take a video. I'm like, what's he doing? I look over, and there is Bill Bader Jr. himself sweeping up a pile of rubber over by where they parked the tractor. That right there tells oh, yeah. you everything you need to know about that facility and how they do things. Oh, absolutely.
1: I'm going to have all the appropriate equipment, you know, oil downs or, you know, you know, to a minimum. And, and when they do have them, they're cleaned up very quick. It's, it's very uh, similar to a world cup, you know, Jason Miller, we always used to joke about it, but if they have, you know, I, I don't want to point fingers, but if you had an import explode and oil down the track, you know, we made jokes that they're like propelling down from helicopters and jumping out of trees. I mean, there's crew coming from everywhere to clean up. And it, you know, as a racer being part of that, you just, You kind of respect the fact that they, you know, that they want to get that, keep that program moving for the fans and, you know, and that's a, that's a big deal, you know.
0: Oh, that's no joke. Those two tracks do what they they use, like for the import versus domestic World Cup in Norwalk. They use what I call the swarm technique. Anytime something happens on the track, there are people swarming from both ends. To check out the problem, like that, someone will go out and check it over if it needs, you know, look. Usually, the the starter or the track manager on this little moped. Then after that, it's like there's people on tractors, there's people on little stand up blowers. They're like you said, they're dropping in from the sky okay. everywhere to go down and fix it in a hurry. Yeah, yep. No.
1: No. There's no question. I, I know at Norwalk, I'm pretty sure it's a company policy for you know everybody to drop what they're doing and go just as it is at the World Cup. But, you know, at Norwalk, I'm pretty sure the only person that has exemption to not cleaning anything up is the whoever happens to be working the ice cream store. You know, you can't drop the scooper under no circumstances.
0: No, no. And that is, <laughs> yeah. And, and for those who don't know, Norwalk serves the best ice cream on earth. It's a dollar a pound. And the second they open that place up, there's a line there. And I think they have to like rotate lefties and righties in at scoop because by the time those dudes are done or I, the, the the women that are in there scooping too, they've got Popeye forearms. It's no joke. Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. You know, it's it's like, you know, the line is, you know, similar to waiting for the Magnum at Cedar Point. You know, it's, you know, it'd be nice if they had a fast pass for that ice cream, you know, deal. But, um Of course, that's a pretty good idea for him. So if he's listening, maybe he can do that. People pay extra for the fast pass for sure. But, yeah, there's always a line. No question about it.
0: The best thing about covering the NHRA race at Norwalk when they have it is that they have the ice cream in the media center. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And and, and they'll mix it for you, too. It's like I I asked the, the chick. I'm like, wait a second. So I don't have to go over there and you'll, like, give me whatever I want. She's like, yeah. I'm like, oh, well. Looks like I'm not diabetes this weekend. Great. That's exactly right. And hands down, the other thing I love about Norwalk, best track food in the country for the for the price. You can't beat it with a stick. I mean, they they get after it.
1: Yeah, and that's uh, and again, I think that's one of the reasons why it makes it one of the premier tracks. Is he understands how important it is to have not only the best surface or track in the country or one of them certainly. But it's it's everything else that comes with it. That's what keeps the fans coming back, you know. So he'll have a tremendous amount of spectators in the stands, in addition to all those bracket cars, because that family's able to come for an ex, you know an experience. Which some tracks, even though they're great prep and you know and they work really really hard, sometimes they miss some of the simple things, and and that that's difficult for them to get fans, and they wonder why. But it's it's all about that experience, you know, offering them, you know, the the food and the t-shirts, and you know, you can buy merchandise there, obviously, and um, you know, little dog, you know, walking areas, and you just very simple things that you know really make a difference and want people, you know, get people coming back.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's the the details, the the yep. complete detail planning is what makes going to that place an experience. Absolutely. And- you know, one of the things I wanted to kind of hit you up about a lot of people might know is, you know, how did you get into the drag race? What attracted you to it? And then when did you decide to, you know, make it a career? How, how did all this kind of start and come about for you?
1: Um, actually it was, uh, um, kind of a weird deal, but, you know, I, you know, in high school I just enjoyed, you know, speed and the adrenaline rush of, you know, snowmobiles, jet skis, you know, things of that nature that, you know, basically just getting adrenaline rush because of the speed. And myself personally, I was torn between doing circle track racing or drag racing. And, uh, there was a local guy in this area that was really good at the circle track racing. And, you know, I went out to watch some dirt track racing and he raced some Marca, and, and, uh, was able to, you know, to go to watch his dirt track program and just see what it all entailed, you know, and, Like, how much money does it cost? You know, what's it like? What's, you know, how's the fans? You know, what's the whole experience? Just how can I get my best bang for the buck? And it didn't take me more than five or 10 minutes to know that that wasn't for me when they, you know, he was a premier racer. So people would team up and and try to run him off the road. And, you know, and he, he got, you know, tens of thousands of dollars of suspension part damage, brakes, calipers, you know, A arms, you know, things of that nature. And uh, I'm like, oh, I'd be in jail night one, you know, like, you know, somebody runs me off the road purposely, like I'm going to go crazy, you know, so I, you know, I went to one race and made a determination that maybe I need to look into drag racing because I did enjoy it. I had a couple street strip Mustangs back in the day, you know, I've probably had 40 different Mustangs and um, always enjoyed trying to make them go fast and, you know, do what everybody does, the exhaust, the clutch kit, you know and uh, you know, get rid of the Thermactor air valves on your, you know, and turn off all the emissions and just see how fast you can go and uh, you know, drive it up to Norwalk and drive it home. You know? And that was a lot of fun, but um, it wasn't until I worked for BP as a um, district manager uh, for several years. And uh, it, during that time, I started racing as a hobby. Well, local tracks, you know, Myland and, you know, Norwalk occasionally and and uh, was doing really well with it and decided to race like NMRA, you know, the drag radio class back in the day and started doing very good with that. And as I was doing all of that, people continued to come up to me and say, you know, where can I get this product or how do I do this or how can I go fast or, you know, how can I do what you're doing, you know. And I would always just point them in this direction or that direction and tell them how to do it. And uh, just one day, you know, the light bulb just kind of came, just went on and, you know, uh, you know, I had, I was fortunate that as I started getting, you know, good at winning the drag radio class through NMRA and NMCA that, you know, I accumulated a lot of sponsors through the way and those sponsors allowed me to sell their products, you know, which obviously helped them. You know, if, if I had a, part of my car and somebody wanted it instead of me saying call so-and-so I started to say call me you know and 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 I'll go ahead and sell you that product you know and uh that's I mean PTP racing I mean it it started out as I mean part-time performance because that's what it was you know Patrick and I I met him through drag racing at NSCA and uh you know he had a very good um you know blow through carbureted following and I had a good fuel injection EFI following. So, you know, at that time we became friends and we just, and he was a mortgage broker at the time and he was making really good money doing that. I was making good money working for BP. And we just said, let's, let's try to do this part-time. So that's, you know, hence part-time performance. So it all started um, very, very smooth. And then, you know, within just a couple of months, it was like, wow, you know, this could, be, this could be a full-time gig in a hurry, you know? And uh, so that's what it became for, for me. He's continued to be a mortgage broker and do part-time performance at first. And then Matt, uh, I, I don't even think we were a year into it. And then he stopped being a mortgage broker and, you know, jumped into the, the PTP thing full-time. And uh, that's kind of where we're at now. I mean, ever since then, which I believe that was... Uh, 2007. Um, And I mean, literally every year, we've gone up business wise, volume wise, you know, sales dollars, tuning dollars, the whole nine yards. So um, even through COVID, you know, it was that year was better than the prior year. So Um, every single year we've, we've continued to grow, you know, selling, you know, selling parts and, you know, tuning cars. So, um, very, very grateful that we were able to kind of create what we have and, uh, we try to keep it really, really simple and 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 try to offer the best customer service that we can, but it's nice having both of us because like right now he's, he's tuning you know, two customer cars in Virginia, as I sit here and talk to you today, you know?
0: it's interesting seeing how all that's evolved. You know, I used to work for Ray Litz. We'd see you up at Milan racing all the time. And, you know, I I don't think a lot of people understand that like both you and Patrick and, you know, especially you, you know, you, you piled up a lot of wins and did a lot of impressive things before you, you know, kind of stepped back a little bit to do the tuning side of things. You know, how did that time as a racer, help really sharpen your skills as a tuner um
1: you know i think one of the things that we can kind of offer um and and other tuners can as well but being behind the wheel you know it's there's been several customers that because i've been behind the wheel i've won several championships you know i understand what it takes to compete like if if somebody calls me and says i want to do this this is my goal You know, you know, I can tell them what that's going to entail, not, you know, just feed them a bunch of bullshit and then they're unhappy because I fed them a bunch of bullshit. I can be very straight and honest with them and say, this is what it's going to take. Like it becomes your life when you're competing for a championship. It doesn't matter that your kid's getting married or you have an anniversary or you missed your daughter's birthday party. Like when you're running for a championship, they don't reschedule races for those events. So when you're running for a championship, unfortunately, it has to become your life for that year. If you truly want to give it a go, you know, otherwise you're not a contender because you can't miss those races, you know? So, and, and from a driving perspective, you know, I've got guys that may struggle with their lights. They may struggle with shifting. They may struggle with different games that are played staging, you know, and I can kind of you know, walk them through all these scenarios. So they're prepared for them before they happen, you know, because in racing, you don't get any second chances. You have to be prepared, you know, Mm -hmm. and uh, being behind the wheel as a driver, you know, it's, it's something that's always, whether you're doing it or not, you're always a driver, you know, like it's, you know, these last several years when I stepped away, you, you know, I ran, I won several championships prior to just stopping cold turkey. And I had to because our customers come first. You know, when you when you're trying to build a business and, and you're trying to build clientele, if if that business is getting so busy that it that your personal racing is affecting that business, then you have to step away. It was a very easy choice, but at the same time, I during those times I kind of live through my customers. You know, like even though I'm not driving you know, I treat it as I am, you know, I'm preparing them for every scenario. I'm letting them know what's going to happen before they even go up against the guy, because we've been paying attention to how that particular racer races and they're prepared to go up against them. And, you know, hopefully we can come out on top because, you know, the goal, you know, obviously when I'm racing is doing a championship for, for myself and for my team and everybody involved, but when they're racing, it's it's to win a championship for them, their team, and then our company as well, you know, so it, you know, it's, it's kind of a cool thing being on both sides, to be honest with you.
0: I think it's interesting the way you just worded that, that I've never thought of it before that a lot of times, depending on the tuner and the services you're offering, you're almost like a traveling head coach for a team that has oh, that experience that, you know, you're either helping a team make that next step, or you're taking a, a veteran team that's made that step and then pushing them to that championship level, right? Oh, absolutely.
1: I mean, there's, you could have the fastest car on the property. That's about 30% of, of it. You know, I mean, winning around, let alone a race, you know, 70% of it's mental, you know, and you have to understand just the very simple concepts and, and not get flustered that you're racing, you know, you know, a heavy tune or a tudro or, you know, I mean, some of the, some of the best guys in the country, you know, you, they, whatever they do doesn't affect what you do. You can only affect what you do And it's you in the tree, and that's it. It doesn't even matter who's in the other lane because I can only go as fast as I can go, you know, based on what that surface gives me. So, my job as a tuner and a driver is to to go up and analyze that track and say, what can this surface give me? And can I get as close to 100% maximization for this surface? And as long as I do that, 90% 90% of the time I'm gonna win. But if I if I let you know whoever I'm racing get in my head, well, 90% of the time I'm gonna lose.
0: And what drives that point home even more, I think, is that you're seeing a lot more parity across the board with horsepower levels people being able to extract it, extract a certain amount of power out of these different or, or they're running the same combinations, but it comes down to how well these racers have prepared and how well they execute their plan. Right. Oh,
1: absolutely. I mean um, the races that we've won, I mean, I can, you know, this year um, in, in Eric's coast packing car that, I mean, that thing in order to get to where we are right now, it, it just comes it simply comes down to testing, being prepared. I mean, we spent this this pro mod was kind of new for this team. You know, they they've won small tire championships with us tuning the car. You know, on the west coast, the east coast, and when we transferred over to the pro mod, we simply told them like, "This is going to be a learning experience for everybody." Like we've done plenty of pro mods as tuners, but we haven't said let's go out and try to compete at this level and beat the best in the world at, you know, and we spent the first year and a half, two years basically trying every cubic inch combination, trying every component, every, anything we possibly could. But unfortunately for us at the time, we didn't have the ability to test every day or every week. You know, we had to use the events for test sessions. So every time we showed up to an event, we had a different rear gear, a different tire, a different, you know, um, transmission ratio package, you know, different blower speed, different, you know, cubic inch, different compression, you know, we had completely different elements where, you know, we were starting over at every single event. And then by the end of the event, you try to maximize it as best you can, see where that puts you and, you know, good. Well, you know, this year we've kind of taken all of the data that we accumulated over the first year, year and a half, two years, and, and basically, you know, went back through our data, analyzed the hell out of it, you know, but Patrick and I and, you know, and RE and, and, and Noonan and, you know, and basically every, you know, Tim Lyons and, you know, everybody, and Jimmy Rector, everybody that's involved in this program mechanically. And we analyze all that information that we gathered over the first couple of years, which was essentially our test sessions. And then, and then said, this is what's going to work best. And let's just go try it. And that's where we are right now. I still think we have some work to do, but we're certainly a little closer than we have been, which has given us an opportunity to win some races. And fortunately we've been able to put together some pretty good wins.
0: Now I've got a question related to that, that we're going to hit up, but first I've got to hit up one of our sponsors for this episode, MSD. From Pro Mod to Pro Street, MSD's Pro 600 Capacitive Discharge Ignition System is a game changer for cars making big power. Capable providing eight individual coil outputs with a whopping 680 millijoules of energy, the Pro 600 is an excellent option for racers that previously could only use a magneto. Perfect for four, six, and eight-cylinder cars with high-cylinder pressures, power adders, and nitromethane, the MSD Pro 600 CDI, and recommended ignition coils, part number 8232, will take your engine program to the next level. Now, speaking of taking things to the next level, piggybacking off, we said, you know, you've worked with Eric for a while, you've tuned him to a Pro Mod Championship, and you've stepped behind the wheel of the Coast Packing Car and, man, you've been on a hot streak. You've, you've become a 1099 employee of DuckX Productions, the PDRA, and I think the Northeast Pro Mod Association, too. What's that been like as, you know, an entity and an organization kind of wrapping up what you said about figuring things out and making it all to come together now?
1: Yeah, it's been, it's been awesome. I mean, first of all, Eric's, you know, he's a great friend of mine and and giving me an opportunity to run this car and trust me behind the wheel is just awesome because it's, it's not a cheap, you know, car by any stretch of the imagination. You, you, you know, you don't go buy this as a local Hyundai dealer, you know, it's, it's something that, uh, um, you know, a lot of people just simply can't afford. I know I can, not you know I mean? It's a, it's a car that, uh, um, is, is very, very expensive, and he, and he doesn't really question. I mean, the, the thing that's pretty awesome is he gives me – like, I can run this car as it was my own. So – and that's what's very, very important from my perspective. You know, is, you know, you can have great customers, but great customers that have their own way of thinking and their own way of doing things is just simply a great customer that you just – work with what he brings you you know um this particular customer and we have many like this but this particular customer trusts us to make every single decision when it comes to the car and what it needs to be competitive so you know when you say i need this in order to increase my front split or i need this to increase my back split like you can have a customer that can simply may not be able to afford what you need to do that. Or you may have one that just doesn't agree with your thought process, or you have one that says, you know what, you've been doing this a long time. I trust you go ahead and do it, you know, and we certainly run everything past Eric, you know, Um, but he trusts that we're making the right decision and you don't get a lot of, you know, confrontation when it comes to decisions that are made based on the car it's ran. I mean, I I really, it's really no, like, it feels like I own the car right now. And that's, that's big because, you know, as a driver, you you know, and as a tuner, you have to be able to, you know, know that you're a hundred percent prepared to compete against the best in the country. I don't like showing up 90% prepared because then you need a whole lot of luck to win. I mean, you need luck as it is to win you know, I tell everybody, you need one lucky round of racing to win any race. I don't care where you're racing, you know, and if you can get, get past that lucky round, the rest of it's all skill, you know, but you, but you do need the lucky round because you're competing against superior drivers, superior teams and well-funded teams, you know, but it's been, it's just been a great experience, you know, for me and especially be off so long from racing and then just you know, jump back in this thing, which is one of the fastest cars in the country right now, um, has been pretty awesome. I mean, uh, you know, it's it's definitely an experience I won't forget. And hopefully we can keep it rolling.
0: Yeah, what's it been like going, you know, I mean, you know, your your infamous wheel standing Mustang was out there snapping necks and collecting checks for a while. And then you jump behind, you know, a pro mod, which is a completely different animal across the board, And, you know, just the, the, I don't, people think, oh, it's a fast car. It's a fast car. No, there's a fast car. And then there's pro mod fast because this thing's trying to kill you every second it's going down the track.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, the the thing that's interesting about that is, and and I guess it's just maybe drag racers or, or drivers or whatever it is, but, you know, for me, it like a car, I mean, it, it, like, it, it is on paper way faster than my red car, for example. But for whatever reason, it doesn't feel much faster. So, you know, I think it's just like athletes that play basketball or something or football. You know, the very good athletes, the game slows down for them. You know, they, they got this killer crossover dribble, but they've already done it in their mind. 10 seconds before it happens and they already know where the defense is and, and great quarterbacks can anticipate where the receiver is going to be before they even, you know, the receivers halfway through their route and they're throwing the ball where they know the receiver is going to be because the game's going in slow motion to them because they've done it so many times and they're so comfortable that their brain is so slowed down that it really doesn't feel fast. And that's the easiest way I can explain the white car right now is, especially on radials, but, it, it just feels very slow to me, you know, and that sounds weird, but it, it feels slow, which is a good sign because that means, you know, I'm just as comfortable as I was in my red car. Like people are like, how the hell do you ride a wheelie through the eighth mile, you know, with the tires four foot in the air? Well, if you feel like you're going 10 miles an hour, it's easy, you know, and it's the same thing with Pro Mod. The only thing that I would say about this car that I've noticed on several minor occasions is you can't get too comfortable or too relaxed because if you do it can really hurt you you know because you are going fast you know just because your mind's going slow doesn't mean you're not going fast and you're going fast and if something happens that you know you're kind of laid back and you're lackadaisical because you're so comfortable you, you know you can get in trying to hurt. you know and these cars are a handful if you wait too long to correct the problem so, you know, especially on big tires.
0: Yeah, it, it's interesting you talk about things slowing down because that's what you hear about from, honestly, a lot of the great drivers and people that have a lot of seat time and really fast cars that they talk about is that as you get more used to it, everything slows down and it becomes more natural. You're not like, for lack of better terms, freaking out where you're like trying to wrestle with the car. It's just like you, you, you just, it's a natural flow. That's
1: exactly right. I mean, that's, that's exactly it. Impaired for something you're anticipating it happening before it even happens. Um, so the rest of it's just easy, you know? Um, and that's, I think that's the biggest difference between a good driver and a a driver. That's not, you know, that's not going to win those races, no matter what you do, no matter how much money you have, if you're freaking out and your mind's going crazy, that's that's not a good racer and it will never result in a win like there's it just won't because even even when when you tune somebody like that you know you have to be able to anticipate like i need to know what somebody's light's going to be before they go up there because i make tuning decisions based on what i need to run you know based on who we're racing against and if their lights are all over the place i don't even know what the hell to put in it you know what i mean because it's one of those deals where You know, if you're going to have a 122 light versus no 22 light, that's a different tuna, you know, to win that race because I have a good idea what the next guy is going to run. You know what I mean? I know within reason because all the data is there. You just have to analyze it before you go up to compete against them. And then I know, okay, this is what I got to put in it. So as a driver, you know, it's very, very important to be consistent, calm, you know, and smooth. So, That feedback, your tuner, no matter who it is, whether it's me or any other tuner in the country, they need to know what that driver is going to do. And if they can get that out of the equation, that's just one less thing they have to think about when they're trying to make that car, you know, get to the finish line first.
0: Is that another thing as a professional tuner that, you know, that you play the role, you're playing the role of a coach? Is there times where you've got to calm your, your player, your driver down when they start getting a little wound too tight? If there's a problem, do you, do you have to play into that and think about how you're going to approach situations? Oh,
1: absolutely. I mean, when I first started working with Eric, I mean, um, because I'm driving his car, we'll, we'll use his, use him as an example. Um, and I don't think he'd mind me, you know, mentioning this story, but you know, I'm just like, how am I going to get this guy's lights better? You know what I mean? he's a, he's consistent but he's just consistently a little little slow you know he, he, you know and of course my expectations of everybody are you know through the roof like i you know if you're not 020 or better every time you know i'm freaking out you know and trying to figure out how to make sure we can get you there but um but so what we ended up coming with, you know, and it was just, again, understanding what makes people tick. Eric's the type of guy that basically analyzes every single aspect of everything. So he thinks everything through. And then there's an if-then statement that follows it. You know, like, if the car does this, I do this. If it does this, like, he's, he's pre-programming every single move before he even goes up to stage the car so he's prepared for it. That's just how his brain works. And, and at least that was my assumption of how his brain works. So what I kind of came up with was, you know what? I just got to get this guy not to think about so much. Because what I tell everybody is, is, you know, if you're thinking about one thing, you're, you're 20 numbers slower on the tree. If you're thinking about two things, you're 40 numbers slow on the tree. If you're thinking about three, so on and so forth. You know, if you think about five things, you, you get got a 100 light, you know, and it's just because your brain has to be focused on exactly what you're doing and with him we, we would sing in the headsets while he's staging the car you know we're singing songs you know um you know and he's out there singing and, and, and when with him singing it took his mind off of everything else he was thinking about so then he could just go up there and react and his trees started getting better and better and better and then it got to the point where we didn't have to do that anymore but because he was then he was comfortable. So once he was comfortable, he didn't have to think as much either. So then he became, you know, very good at what he was doing. And as a result, we won a lot of races and several championships, you know, um, you know, with his car and with that team. So that's just one example of understanding your driver. You know, I've got several other ones that you know a very calm cool collective i got turbo drivers that are like okay who are we racing another turbo car all right great i'm gonna burn them down you know i'm thinking you're in a turbo car like how are you gonna burn down another turbo car but they're just so comfortable <laughs> that they don't it doesn't phase them you know they don't even know they're in a turbo car you know and that's that's some of the best turbo racers you know is they don't care that they're in a turbo car because it, they can only affect themselves and once you get past that barrier you know That's, that's half the equation.
0: Yeah. I think that's a huge part of drag racing that a lot of people um, don't necessarily think about is that you have to do you boo. You don't worry about what the other lane's doing. They could have 30 people over there putting that car in the beams, doing a comedy show, whatever. We're going to do our routine. We're going to light a bulb, light a bulb, go race. And there's a lot of people I think that at all levels that fall out of their game and become a not very calm. And that leads to them not winning.
1: Yep. Yep. Absolutely. I mean, that, that's, that's exactly it. It's, it's the, the driver, the car and the tree. I mean, that's it, you know, and in some classes, whether it's factory showdown or whatever it may be, like those customers, you know, it's just the tree and your shift. That's all that matters. There's nothing else that matters. It doesn't matter that you're, your are racing the bar or a Holbrook, like none of that matters you know it's it's only you and the tree you know and now then you got to hit your shift so if you, if you knew that you hit the tree you better be done thinking about that because here comes your shift you know and if you miss any of those you know in a car like that you know you're losing the race because you're knocking the wind out of the car you know or bouncing off a rev limiter and you know hurting parts or doing whatever so
0: I think it comes down to a lot of lessons you learn, too, because we learned the whole burn down lesson as a turbo racer. We got burned down one time. We're like, you know what? In the future, we're going to plan for that. We're going to have the guys at RPM Transmission build us a gangster unit so we don't have to worry about it. Then going (laughs) forward, when someone tried to burn us down, we're like, whatever, we're going to do our deal. We could sit on this break all day.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's another thing that people don't understand is, is some of the inexperienced turbo racers they already are freaking out about being burned down before they even and they don't realize that the way the rules are designed and the way they're written there's really no way you can get burned down as a driver as long as you do what you do and not worry about what somebody else is doing because you can i mean when i had I bought or I built after my red car. I mean, I still own the red car, but I, I had a black coupe that came out for a very brief moment. That was a small black twin turbo car and it had a very tight converter. And I went up to race it at Milan and first time out, I mean, I, you know, and this is before creepers and, you know, all this stuff. And, you know, and it's Charlie Cooper will appreciate it. You know, it, I had what was called a double bump scenario. You had to start bumping the dang car just to spool it before you even went into the top ball, you know. <laughs> so, you know, you had to start spooling, you know, damn near at the burnout box just to get this thing up on boost by the time you let go of the button. But not once did I get burned out. You know what I mean? Everything was under my own terms, did everything all within the seven seconds. And, as long as your components, like you said in your case, an RPM transmission. Mine at that time was an M M&M and M transmission. And as long as those components can withstand that, and you got the appropriate coolers or whatever you need, you know, um, if you're always prepared for the worst case scenario, the rest of it's easy. You know, if they do you any favors, then you know you're good. If they don't, you know you're prepared. So it's, uh, you know, that's just I call that turbo people problems, but most of them are self-inflicted.
0: Oh, it's beyond turbo people problems. I saw a guy with a, a blower car this you know at the NMRI race that just for some reason decided to double bulb somebody. I think it was during True Street or something like that. Just immediately go on the brake. Yep. Like, dude, we're, you know this this is not <laughs> this is not a good strategy. This is not going to end well for you. No, and, I and that's and that's the guy right
1: there that his mind's going too fast. I mean, that's that's you know me as a tuner would step in and say. You have to slow down. You have to not worry about the guy in the other lane. You know, you, like you're going too quick here. You're Something's going to go way wrong. And it's going to be whether you're going to blow up on the trans break or you're going to go red or something's going to happen because your mind's going too fast. You have to slow everything down. And, and that, again, being a driver, I kind of know what's going through his head to create that problem,
0: you know. That, that's also the guy that the, his ter- his transmission and converter builder are watching on the live feed, screaming at the TV. Yeah, yeah they, they didn't
1: even get to see the pass because they passed out.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're, they're just hoping and praying. They don't see a thermal event happen and, you know, stuff yeah. like that. Well, just it makes my <laughs> whenever I see someone on a break for too long, like I immediately have bad flashbacks and start smelling burnt transmission fluid. It's yeah. the worst smell ever. Oh yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, you helped Ray in a time where same thing. It was that time where converters weren't totally optimized yet or figured out, you know, they just, they were all just way too tight because that's how a turbo car goes fast and dump valve strategies and stuff weren't perfected. So know so spooling was a pain in the ass no matter what you did you know and that that was a very tough time to be successful with a turbo car and the people who figured it out you know and and were in the cutting edge of all this dump valve technology those are the guys that were very very successful because that was the huge difference or you know because it allowed them to run those tight converters you know and spool the car you know and, and typically what most people did and the mistakes that they made in the past where they're like, screw that tight converter. I just got to put this loose one. In. Well, then they had 25% slip at the stripe wondering why they weren't running with the next guy, you know, but it was racing, you know, so that's just the way they went, you know, back then.
0: You know, it kind of dovetails into, you know, another question people might have is, you know, what's the hardest thing about being a professional tuner? They, they, they see you guys, on the live feeds and you know at the track banging on the keyboards you know and bouncing around and it's it's not all uh lawn chairs and battery chargers is it
1: no no i mean the biggest thing is is you know i I mean i guess one of the big unknowns or downfalls for any tuner no matter how good they are is did you communicate enough clearly enough with the team prior to the event that you're going to because you know if a, if a team doesn't show up with a car prepared properly, you know, doesn't have the right components in it, whether it's the stator, the converter, the rear gear, the tire, you know, whatever it may be, then you just spend the whole event like trying to get the car mechanically sound. When an ideal situation for a tuner is that the that you stay in communication with that customer on a regular basis, and it shows up mechanically. So if that makes sense, you know, because you can't, you know, I always tell everybody, you know, one of my favorite lines is I just tune the junk you bring me, you know, and if you, if you bring me junk, you're probably going to get pretty junky results because I can only do so much with that, you know, but if you bring me the right combination and you come with the right mindset, there's a pretty good chance we're going to do really well you know, because we we do know what we're doing and we've done it for a long time. So we can analyze data very, very quickly, make changes, you know, slight moves and, and, you know, whether it's chassis adjustments or, you know, or mechanical adjustments or just laptop adjustments, we can, we can get you going in the right direction very, very quickly if you have the right components, you know, and that's, that's one of the hardest parts of tuning is, you're not attached, you know, like I said, with this white car, it's, it's, I know how that car is showing up. I know what components are in it and what my game plan is going into it before I even arrive at the track. But then on the other end of the spectrum, we have customers that, you know, you may tune them five times a year or three times a year, or maybe a couple times a year at Donald's races or something like that, where, you know, The last time you tuned it, it was making some significant progress. But then the next time they show up, it's like, Oh, I just changed these 12 things and here we are, you know and I'm like? You might as well painted the car too, because you got a whole new car now, you know? So now we're starting over and maybe we'll get it figured out by the end. (laughs) You know what I mean? So that's what makes the job very, very challenging is just the communication that has to happen and you're also trusting that those particular people or customers or whoever they may be actually understand and do what you're instructing them to do prior to their next, you know, event. Cause sometimes that communication, you know, it's just like anything, you know, it, you say something, but they hear it totally different. And then you figure out once they show up that something's not right, you know, based on your conversation. So again, it's not in your garage or your shop. So you know, you don't have any control over that, you know? So that's the, that's the tough part, you know, being a competitive tuner, like when I show up, you know, I want to win. we used to have an expectation that as long as we can make that customer faster than they've ever been, you know, that, that used to be kind of what we took pride in, no matter what happened at the race, as long as they could be faster than they've ever been in their life. And they go home with their fastest time slip ever you know, that was a great accomplishment. But now I guess as you do it more and more and more and my competitive nature as a driver is kind of bled over into the tuner in me, you know, I want to win every damn race with every customer now. you know what I mean? I don't care that it's the fastest pass ever, like it needs to be the fastest pass of everybody, you know, and that's just You know, I don't know if it's because I'm getting older or more competitive or just that's just an expectation I've kind of always had, but maybe didn't have the same confidence that we do today. I don't I don't know what that stems from, but I don't think there's anything wrong with it. (laughs) No, not at all. You know,
0: it's funny as you were describing the, the challenges of a tuner what pops into my mind is that it's very similar to the challenges of a dyno operator. When someone drags something to the dyno that has vacuum leaks is leaking. And, you know, you're only going to get the results you want. I can't do my job as a calibrator when you bring me something that's on life support as it's running. No, that's
1: exactly right. Yeah. Your, your expertise is, is operating that dyno and squeezing every last ounce of horsepower out of it. But they're leaving 30% of their horsepower off the table because they've got all these mechanical issues. So now you just turn into a, new, you know, you're, you're basically, you know, giving them a full service, you know, before you even get to tune the car, you know, that's, it's pretty frustrating, you know, and uh, I can totally see. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the reasons why, we do what we do. You know, we, we, do, we actually, we have dynos that we have access to, you know, but we've, over the years we've talked about it and talked about it. Like, should we open a shop? Should we have a dino? Should we do this? Should we do that? And uh, I just, I like the direction that we've gone, which is, you know, just getting our hands dirty at the racetrack to figure it out because that is frustrating. I mean, and some someday. When we want to slow down a little bit and maybe not be gone so much and and, you know be centrally located where we can you know clock in from nine to five and you know dyno cars all day that that may be the direction that our company goes someday but it's certainly not now because i you know don't have the patience for (laughs) that exact example
0: (laughs) that's why you need to have a deposit taken up front and then you have the whole deal where it's like this is what it's going to cost you if all I do is tickle the keyboard. If I got to yeah. start turning wrenches, then we're going to go into a whole different tax bracket, my friend. Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. You jump up about three levels when you got to pick up wrenches, especially Barnyard. I mean, it, he's allergic to wrenches. I mean, I don't know if people know that or not, but it's, I mean, there's been some stories where if he picked up a 9 sixteenths wrench, his face started swelling up. But
0: like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> The, the funny story behind that i i was involved in a thrash on a car that he was working on or you know tuning and it yeah he he didn't pick up a wrench it was pretty much everybody was like you know just we'll, we'll show you what's broken just stand over there we'll, we'll take care yeah. of this please yeah that's right yeah absolutely
1: i mean and and i mean don't get me wrong he absolutely is capable and and, and can wrench and and he um you know as of recently he's been underneath some cars making some four link adjustments and stuff like that and he's actually started to wire some cars which is uh and i just said his name and he's calling my phone but uh um but uh yeah so he's he's certainly capable but it's just a joke that we have as tuners like you know we're you know we need to you know we we can't get our hands dirty because you know the, the the keyboard may not work you know and and, uh, you don't want me to slip up on a keyboard cause I got oil on my fingers, you know, it's just, it's just a joke, but we certainly, both of us, I mean, you know, back in the day, that red car, I won a lot of races with it, but it wasn't by, you know, just sitting down in a lounge chair. It was, I mean, head gaskets and wrenching and, you know, hitting walls and getting the car back running for the next morning and just, you know, endless amounts of wrenching. so, and he was, he was there, you know, with me during those times, but it's, uh, we just we make jokes about it that you know we're we're retired now from that aspect of it
0: <laughs> i i can vouch for that because i have seen you put multiple head units on a car at the world cup Multiple multiple head units, but we we can get into more of that here. I've got a question that's kind of uh, about that that should be fun for you to answer. But before we uh, kick things into high gear here, I got to hit our last sponsor, ProCharger. For 25 years, ProCharger has been the industry's Leading aftermarket supercharger manufacturer by designing, engineering, and building the most powerful, reliable, and advanced centrifugal superchargers on the market. No matter if you're looking for 3,500 horsepower record-setting ProMod power or a DIY system for your streetcar, truck, or even motorcycle, ProCharger has the perfect supercharger system for you. For more information on all the amazing ways you can bowl on 40, 50, 60, or even 100% more horsepower to your ride, visit ProCharger.com. So we hit our last sponsor integration here. And it's funny to see you and Patrick, I think you tune everything but golf carts, literally at the track. And you might tune those at some point that we don't see, but what's the, what do you enjoy the most about tuning all these different combinations at the track? You know, you get to play with everything. You know, what do you like about that?
1: Um, I think just taking it from a, I guess, kind of a virgin product to, to the end result. You know, you, you put together a combination on paper for a customer because they're looking for your advice and just seeing, you know, can you achieve the goal that you set with the customer? I mean, that becomes the challenge. And what I like about and enjoy about drag racing is it's all a challenge. You know, um, if it wasn't a challenge, I don't think I would do it. You know, I mean, it's you know, and that's that's one of the things I like about big tire racing. I mean, I don't want to go off on a tangent, but I mean, it, like to me, radio racing is so easy compared to big tire racing. You know, keeping that big tire around and, and keeping it fast and efficient, you know, is such a freaking challenge, you know. And, and the people that understand that sometimes taking power out makes you go faster on a big tire and, you know, things of that nature that it, it just works completely opposite of radio racing um makes it, you know, challenging and rewarding, you know, and that's that's kind of what, you know, and and when you put a 5 W on a car, or a 28105 on a customer car, or a 275 drag radio, I mean, just they're all completely different and want completely different stuff, chassis settings, shock settings, all of that and understanding all of that, you know, um is what makes it very appealing you know it's everything's kind of its own puzzle that you're trying to put together you know and when it's finished you know you want to you know take a picture and hang it on your wall you know i mean it's it's that's just kind of what makes it rewarding you know is is the is i guess all the pieces that have to be in place to get to that final result
0: i think that's the one thing that a common thread every drag racer has no matter what you do is we all like to play with the puzzle box of cars and drag racing. You just yeah. want to figure it out. You know, you, that's how your mind works. Oh, yeah,
1: absolutely. I mean, one of the things that we as a company have, have have done a little bit differently than anybody else out there is there's, we, I mean, I can't think of any situation where we have two customer cars that are alike. So if we're tuning you know, Tyler Hard's, you know, car, I mean, uh, um, yeah, Tyler's, Tyler's car, Kevin McCurdy's car, you know, or Eric's car. Those are, those are pro charge cars, but they have different cubic inches, different compression, different transmissions, different rear gears. I mean, they're, they're ran completely different from each other. And there's a million different ways to get to the same result. And it, and it keeps it, you know first of all you're learning a lot and and it just the goal is to get them all to run very very similar you know with a completely different recipe you know and that's what makes it very very cool and it's the same thing with whether it's factory showdown whether it's you know um, LDR or Pro 275 like we, we just when when I think about our customer base everybody has something completely different and it keeps it Fresh for us, and which is it's in a lot of cases a little more challenging sometimes um, to not have that cookie cutter recipe, so to speak. But I think you're allowing the customer to kind of run with their ideas and what they want, and it's our job to help them maximize it and make that i you know their that idea or that dream you know come to fruition. You know, and if we do that, great. If we if we don't, you know, as tuners, we have to be able to go back to that customer and say, listen, I know you wanted to do this, but that may not be the best way. We've already, you know, we, we believe that we're 98% maximized now, and it may not be good enough. I think we need to change this, this, and this to get you, you know, closer to where you want to be. And it wasn't for a lack of trying. It's just the idea didn't work out. And that's that that happens a lot of times in drag racing. I mean we've had an Eric's car specifically over that two-year window of R and D and information gathering, we tried several things that we went backwards on that felt like they were very, very good calls that just didn't happen to work out, you know, and, and, and you have to be like man enough to say, like, we got to hit the reset button here. That didn't work, you know, and just can that idea and move forward, you know, and not be stubborn and, be stuck on it so long that you just become very underperforming and not do well, you know, and that's, you have to take that same mentality with all of these teams, you know, they all come with an idea and in conjunction with our ideas, you come up with the recipe. Well, um, at the end of the day, if it doesn't work, you have to be able to work together and you have to have that customer that understands that and trust you to, to make the component change, to get you in the right direction, you know, and that's just kind of, you know, how we do it.
0: Now, we're getting to shift into gear, another gear once again. It's kind of where I start asking the fun, the, the fun questions of my guests. And, yeah. you know, you, you alluded to it earlier, you know, the, the crazy things you've had to do at the track, you know, swapping stuff out, banging into walls. And when you've been around racing as long as you have and kind of done the things you have, there's a certain legend that starts to build around you. So one of the stories I've always heard that will let you debunk this, whether this is true or not, was that you had a, a unfortunate encounter with a barrier at one point. And to continue your race weekend, you actually used a trailer winch to straighten a core support. Is this true or false?
1: Now that's, uh, that's true. We actually had to use the winch to pull the front of the car out so i could even get the doors open and closed (laughs) so that was actually in atlanta i believe and uh i had a um rear end upper control arm mount off the rear end break off the rear end housing and it shifted the rear end and when it shifted the rear end it cut a rear tire at 190 miles an hour and hit the you know hit the wall head on and The motor plate was bent the mid plate was bent the doors wouldn't open um you know it destroyed the blower the gear drive the transmission was cocked sideways in the car it went through the tunnel um, ripped the rear end right out of the car um and that was in qualifying you know so um i think that was it might have been the first round of qualifying i mean this has been several years ago so the memory is a little vague but i remember dave w from pro charger was there tim lyons was huge instrumental in helping me do this i mean we literally stayed up all night had the car up on jacks on a lift inside the trailer you know had it strapped down had a winch pulling on the front sledgehammer in the sides trying to stiffen them up when you're pulling on the car and you know basically using the the you know the four post lift as a frame machine to try to get the car back straight and duct tape the hood front you know the front bumper cover needed front rims needed rear rims um needed the whole um underneath rear structure of the car re-welded back in needed, needed the A-arm, you know mounts um upper control arm mounts welded back on the rear end housing you know that was out of the car and all i mean basically i mean the car literally felt like we built it again from the ground up and uh I remember Patrick, he said, well, what are you going to do? Are you going to make a full pass? And uh, I said, I guess we're just going to see how it feels. You know, I mean, I already hit the wall at 190. It can't get much worse, <laughs> you know. And uh, so we, we unloaded that thing the next day because it was literally put in the trailer with a loader. You know, like they literally, you know, had forks and just pushed the thing in the trailer you know, and, uh, we pulled it in with the winch, you know, sparks flying, all tires are flat, you know, I mean, just the car by everybody's estimation was damn near total. And, uh, um, in fact, after that race, we ended up front half in the car and redoing it, you know, um, Greg Chandler, he, uh, donated a front clip to the Mustang and, and, uh, you know, you know, switched that out for me. And it was just awesome. Had you know, just customers and friends stepping in to, to help out with the situation, but it was, it was a pretty bad wreck, you know, and, uh, um, moral of the story is, is I think the next, very next hit, we made a full pass and I think we qualified number one or two. And I believe we, we either run it up or won that race, uh, with a complete zip tied duct tape together race car. So, it was uh, it was pretty awesome, and it, I couldn't have done it by myself for for sure. But I don't even remember who was all there helping me. But there was there was probably four or five of us that stayed up all night just to get it back on, you know, get it back on the road.
0: It's interesting hearing the full story now, and it's actually even more terrifying yet humorous. To like, I just picture like you guys in the trailer, and like, you know how do you come up with the idea to fix it? Well, let's put it on the lift. Let's use the winch to pull it and we'll just beat it back into place. Meanwhile, there's chassis and body shop guys probably crying on the inside if they saw that. <laughs> oh, yeah, yep, you know, that's that. that yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's, it's amazing. But I mean, there's many, many
1: more stories just like that. But that's that's the dedication that you need to win that championship. You know, there's there's so many people that can tell you you know, that they finished second in this point series and they lost by a round or less than a round or, you know, or a couple rounds. And it, it's, you have to have that mentality. Like you can't, you know, you can't just give up and go home. I mean, and if you do, the chances of you winning that championship are diminished significantly. So and once you understand that as a racer, you, you like there's people that have a lot of money that do this for a hobby that just think that they can just jump in a car and go win a championship you know they, they don't understand that it doesn't matter how much money you have or you know it's it's all it, it really depends on your commitment like if you're 100 percent committed to it that gives you the best chance to win it doesn't it doesn't have anything to do with money because back then i definitely didn't have the most money out of all those racers you know that i used to race against
0: you know, it, it, it harkens back to when when Ray took the red car out for the first time and uh, it, it went into a, a, low, a low flight. He tried to earn his pilot's license and up off four, came back down, cars beat up. I'm walking back thinking we're done for the weekend. And the next thing I know, we've got the car up on jack stands. We're beating on stuff. We're looking it over. Oh, it's not that bad. We're grabbing some parts from from Tommy and the guys over at Carlisle racing to kind of get stuff fixed. And someone looked at Ray and said, you're going to try to run again? And he said, I didn't show up here to watch. I showed yeah. up here to race. And that right there, that was a light bulb moment where I'm like, that's, that's what this is all about right there. This is not local bracket racing anymore. This is a whole new level.
1: Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, that's the mentality that it takes to be successful doing this. If you don't have that, you're just out having fun and you may may win a couple rounds or you may, you know, maybe even win a couple races, but you certainly aren't championship capable, you know, without that mentality.
0: Well, Jason, my final question is the one I really like to have fun with the guests. And A lot of people don't, again, they don't know this. They don't believe me that I have a magical mythical bank account on the show where I can grant my guests an unlimited budget. And for your particular question of budget, if you could build the perfect race car, what would you build? You know, what car, what class would you run? You know, what that, that, that build in your mind, you think about when you're daydreaming, what are you going to build?
1: To be honest, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be far off of what we have in that coast packing machine. You know, I mean, that's kind of the clear slate build. I mean, that, in fact, that car, that chassis is Patrick's, where or was originally Patrick's chassis. Um, so that was kind of our, that was going to be, you know, kind of our company car per se that we knew with, with business and, you know, customers. And um, we just, couldn't give it the, you know, the time that it needed, um, you know, to actually be successful running it, you know, ourselves. Um, So we, you know, we obviously sold it to Eric, and and Mm -hmm. Eric took the car and, you know, kind of finished our dream, so to speak, you know, so that, that, I I think it wouldn't be far off of that, but it would be, Kind of a transformer, so to speak, um, which would be a little different than this car. This car has some limitations because we didn't have any idea that we wanted to race radio races with it, so it's limited a little bit on, in that platform from a from a chassis perspective. You know, it can't do some of the things that it needs to do um, to be what I consider like an elite st- you know style chassis right at the moment, um, but. Uh, so so it would be this car with some slight modifications to the chassis to allow it to be you know the best quote-unquote radio chassis and the best quote-unquote big tire chassis um because i really do enjoy both of those venues the, the most um i love the challenge of the big tire you know trying to figure out how to run as fast as you can on a radio on a big tire is a is a is a huge challenge and i mean we we went a 59 this year on the big tire and we've been a 50 flat on the radio. So we're getting closer. Um, But that, you you know, to me, you, you know, it didn't matter if I had $200 million or 20 bucks, that's, that's the car that I would want to build. And that's the class or the classes that I would want to run because they're, they're the most appealing to me and there's so many organizations to race like big tire wise, there's, PDRA, NMCA, you know, Northwest, you know, Northeast Pro Mod, Midwest Pro Mod, you know, um, there's, I mean, several, several different venues throughout the country to race that in ADRL now as well. I mean, it just, uh, like, you could race every weekend, seems like, you know, and if I had all that money, I'd probably race every damn weekend. <laughs>
0: just, put, just put it all in the racing, right? Like, I got the car.
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: Just put it in set cards. Yep. Well, Jason, our time here is coming to an end, and I like to give my guests their opportunity to pull off the old John Force and thank every sponsor and everybody I need to thank and tell people where to find them at. So uh, I'm going to turn the floor over to you, my friend, so you can tell people who you need to thank and where they can learn about what you got going on. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously
1: I need to start with Coast Packing. I mean, they're, you know, they're the the whole vehicle behind, you know that the white car that I'm that I'm able and fortunate to drive this year. Um that's uh that you know obviously that's a, a huge deal. I mean the, you need to look them up coastpacking.com. That's that's why they do this. You know they 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 want to take advantage of the marketing opportunities through you know platforms like this and, and different coverages on live feed and, and all the fans you know they want to you know basically you know educate the public on you know animal fat you know shortening and uh, and just you know basically drive the, their business to the next level you know i mean I believe they're the number one you know um, a- animal fat comp- shortening company on the west coast but I think they you know prefer to get that number one in the country you know um and it's such a great company great family-owned business um so i obviously want to start there you know ptp racing got to mention our own company we're we're a huge part of that you know particular team and this is probably why you know the reason i'm mentioning this particular team more is because that's the vehicle that's given me the opportunity to actually have this interview you know um you know lions custom Motorsports. they maintain the car um Noonan Race Engines, Jimmy Rector maintains the engines. Noonan you know provides the platform and you know the structure behind all of our recipes, Pro Charger, Hall uh, Liberty Gears, Quick Drive, um, Precision Racing Racing and Suspension, Hoosier, uh, Summit Racing, NGK. Um, just those are the the companies that are really backing this car. It's it's hard to remember everybody when it's really not my car, but again, I treat it like it is. So, um, try to mention all the sponsors, you know, that, that support r racing and, um, you know, Cam Hensley and, and trucker, John and, uh, Ben Lidl and, and ox, um, you know, are, are huge um, contributors to this team that without those guys, we wouldn't be able to, you know, do, you know, anything that we've achieved this year. Um, I hope we're just getting started. You know, we've won, I think three out of six or three out of seven races this year Um, been to the finals uh, and another one. So, I mean, um, ideally it'd be nice to, you know, finish off the year, you know, keeping that streak alive and uh, seeing if it can take us to a PDRA championship.
0: Well, Jason, I greatly appreciate you coming on the show. It was a lot of fun. I've got to hit my sponsors, of course. You know, brought to you by MSD Pro Charger Performance Distributors, Airflow Research, Flowmaster, Holly, Mosure Engineering, Comp Cams, Fuel Air Spark Technology, and Eldabrock. All make the Dragzine podcast possible these days. Awesome to talk to you, and uh, hopefully, I'll see you soon here at the track, Jason. Thank you much.